0: Um, The reading is taken from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to to betray Jesus. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much. Now, oh, good evening, everybody. I'd rather be here than by the beach. <laughs> lot warmer. (laughs) Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we just commit our time to you now and pray that as we open your word, that by your Spirit, you would teach us from it, point us to the Lord Jesus, show us what a wonderful saviour he is. Once more, thrill our hearts with your word, we pray. For his name's sake. Amen. Amen. These are wonderful words. Andrew said beforehand, you know, in many ways these are favourite chapters uh, from, uh, from John's Gospel. Wonderful words. I love John's Gospel anyway. But, but these in particular, as we draw to this stage in, in the life of the Lord Jesus, um, as far as John's record is concerned, up to the end of chapter 12, uh, <clears throat> is the, the first section where, where the Lord himself um, had been dealing, if you like, showing the world around and the folks around just who he was. He'd done many wonderful things. He'd said many wonderful words. And uh, um, that chapter in his life was just coming to an end. And, and he says this at the end of chapter 12, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, it had every opportunity. I do not judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him." It reminds me of an old, talking of the the beach, it reminds me of an old beach mission chorus that uh, your dad would remember. Uh, He did not come to judge the world. Uh, He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek, the lost he came to save. And and the Lord Jesus had presented in, in wonderful ways and in wonderful words all that he is and was, and yet, you know, he'd come into, as it says at the beginning, he'd come into his own country, his own land, his own temple, his own place, but his own people wouldn't accept him. What a sad indictment of the world today. And chapter 12 draws to a close, and the Lord Jesus now, in in chapter 13 up to verse 16, is his final, up to chapter 16, is his final discourse with his disciples. And then in chapter 7 we have that wonderful, wonderful prayer uh, to his Father while he was still free. And I think in many ways, for me, that's the highlight of of almost the whole of Scripture, that we should be allowed to enter into the Lord's innermost, deepest thoughts in relation uh, to his Father. But his hour had come, the hour of which he'd spoken uh, many times throughout his life and which people hadn't understood at all during his ministry. It it, it was the, the hour that the Son of Man should be glorified. It was the hour for the purpose for which he'd come, and his heart was full of, of, of the, 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 the very purposes of the Father being manifested through him. That he would prepare the disciples for their lives when he was gone, I think was a most remarkable thing. And as we think about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our blessed Saviour, who had rightfully so much on his heart, and yet here he would draw aside with his disciples and spend time with them. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that a wonderful, amazing thing, that he should think of his own at that moment? The hour, I said, when he would be be glorified through his death, his resurrection, his ascension. From a human standpoint, it meant untold suffering from a divine point of view, it was glorification. It was all that the Father had given him to do, that he'd come to fulfil. All that his Father had entrusted with him, he came not to do his own will, but the will of him who had sent him, and to finish that work. And in so doing, he'd manifested the Father to the world, as he does to us. All that God the Father is, this. Being the one who inhabited eternity, the one who had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, the one who had purposes and plans, he, the Lord Jesus, his well beloved Son, had come to bring honor and glory to his great name, and that the Father would be glorified in the Son, and the Son would be glorified. In the Father, made great, magnified. His name, we've thought of him, given a name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. The whole of glory is going to celebrate that wonderful moment, the universe, when every knee bows to this blessed Saviour. What a wonderful person he is. But he would soon leave the world and return to the Father who had sent him, having finished that work. And in these few verses that Mary read to you, you know, as he, as he begins to, uh, to talk with his disciples, I just want to look at, at three things. I'm not, I'm not one for three things, usually. As, I, as people will well know. I, th- I think Emmanuel loves three things. Uh, and and uh, I'm a bit rebellious, really. I think, well, I'm going to do four. But actually, no, I'm going to do three tonight. First of all, I want to look for a few minutes at the humility of this blessed man, the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to look for a few minutes at the holiness that is expected and required and demanded of us if we're going to honour God in what we do. And thirdly, the happiness of a life with Him, the happiness of being with Him, of being part with Him, His humility the holiness and the happiness what the lord jesus knew about what was soon to come had helped to perhaps formulate what he was about to do and the disciples had no knowledge of this and no understanding of this they certainly didn't understand before they understood even less when he was actually carrying out this great and act this great act of which we've read and they probably understood even less afterwards. And the Lord Jesus said to Peter, didn't he? We read it, that, that uh, at the present time, Peter, you don't understand it, but you will do. There will come a time in the coming days when this will begin to take a hold of you, and it will change your life, and it will begin to make you into what I really want you to be. And so he would say that to each one of us, but it formed, really, what the Lord Jesus was about to do. He'd carried out In wonderful perfection, both uh, uh, the revelation of God, he'd come to demonstrate God in all his fullness, God the Father, in all his fullness, in all his majesty, in all his greatness. And the Lord Jesus had been that very personification of what God is. He'd also come to bring about the, the redemption of mankind. He did not only come to seek, he also came to save. And that's wonderful. And we're here tonight, and if we know the Lord Jesus Christ and as our Lord and Savior, it's because of what He did for us. It's on no other ground that any one of us can have any claim at all in the things of God except for what the Lord Jesus did on our account. Isn't that true? And we'd all say amen to that. He knew He was going to God and Back to God in, in a risen life. He knew he was going to go as the first fruits of a great harvest of blessing. That as a result of this work, there were going to be millions of people down the ages who would come to faith in, in him, who would experience forgiveness of sins, who would have a hope eternal, incorruptible, reserved in the heavens, as Peter so wonderfully described. A great harvest of blessing. He knew that he would be going back to heaven as the head of a great new creation. And yet in those moments, knowing all that that the Father had put, as we've read, everything into his hand, what does it say? He rose from supper and laid aside his garment. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash The disciples' feet. What a savior. What a wonderful person. What thoughts of love, divine love, could only come from heaven that would mean him to do this. Everything at his disposal. How true the prediction of Isaiah was about to come true. In Isaiah 53, it says, The pleasure of the Lord, the pleasure of Jehovah, will prosper in this man's hands. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper. In his hands. He took the humble place of service. we thought about the servant king and here the one in whose hands everything would prosper took the place of humility and washed his disciples feet. How precious he is. How wonderful he is. Doesn't it touch your heart when you think about it that he's done this to you? He does this for me, and he still does it every day, every moment of every day. I love to think, when I wake in the morning, and as I tend to, you know, when you get older, you find you go to bed earlier, and the result of that is you wake earlier. But, you know, however early you wake in the morning, isn't it wonderful to know the Lord Jesus has already prayed for you? I think that's amazing. That he's already been on his knees to his Father and prayed for us before we even wake. What a saviour. What a Lord. I have nothing to fear today because the Lord Jesus has prayed for me. I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing. And he took this humble place. And you know, in, in, in that verse, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In a coming day, he will indeed, throughout a wide universe of blessing, everything in his hand will prosper and the pleasure of the Lord will be found in it. But in these moments here, that same hand will prosper in his hand. That same hand took water, took a towel, and he washed the disciples' feet. And in this, he was a servant of the Lord as much as he will be in the day that Isaiah prophesied that's still to come. What a day that will be, isn't it? But he gave his disciples... An unforgettable lesson in humility, and I guess as humans, we all have to confess that sometimes we need lessons in humility. We like to think we're a little bit uh, more, uh, uh, perhaps, than, um, than yeah, the other people will perhaps think a little bit more than we like to think of ourselves, or we like to think of ourselves a little bit more than other people will think. And, and, and we all need a, a lesson in humility. And, and yet here we're dealing with one who, as we read, made himself of no reputation. You know the grace, Paul said to Co- the Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich beyond measure, yet for your sake and for my sake... He became poor. He was sovereign, the sovereign Lord over all, and yet he became a servant. He was Lord and Master, and yet he served his followers. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, came in the likeness of man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death even death on a cross. I think these are most amazing things, and here, as the disciples began to understand a little bit of the change that was about to take place, Peter must have looked back on that, and as he thought of his position in this, and the Lord Jesus said, you will understand what I'm going to do. You will understand, over coming days, what the significance of this. And he wrote later, Peter, in in chapter 5 of his first epistle, he talked and he spoke a bit about being clothed with humility. To every one of us, to be clothed with humility, to be more like Christ. And yet the lesson that I believe he learned, and and I, I want us to remember the first lesson out of this little first heading of humility, was that true humility only grows out of a relationship with God as our Father. True humility only grows out of a true understanding of just how great our God is. And of entering into a relationship with him and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And if our desire is really to know and to do the Father's will in our lives, just as it was the desire of the Lord Jesus when he's here, I came not to do mine own will, not for one moment, but to do the will of him who sent me. And if our desire is the same, so as to glorify God's great and wonderful name, then I believe we have to begin to experience the joy of following Christ's example in humility, one with another, and with the Lord Jesus. Humility. This is one of the great challenges of our Christian experience. But you know, there's another thing, another great challenge, and the second word was holiness and there's a holiness, be holy even as I am holy. And Peter's impetuous protest, Lord, you're never going to do this to me. May you wash my feet? I, I happen to think, in my profession, there are two things I detested. My profession, if you didn't know, was, it was a GP. Feet are disgusting. Teeth are even worse. <laughs> and I couldn't stand either of them. But feet are disgusting. Now. To have to even, sorry, I'm not talking about your feet. Well, I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, I think that was a very menial task for anybody to do. It was perhaps a habit in the eastern homes, and still is, that the servant would wash the master's feet, that when he came in from a dusty, dry and hot day, that it would be the right and proper thing for the servant to do. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. Not for one moment. But but he was told that there will come a time, Peter, when you will understand. Now, in part, I guess, we're not told what that time was specifically. In part, I guess, it might have been when he betrayed the Lord, and then after the Lord's resurrection, the Lord in wonderful grace and love restored him. It might have been a time when the Holy Spirit came. He said, afterward, you will understand. Was it when the Holy Spirit was given and began to reveal more of these things to him? Whatever, for us, you know, the Holy Spirit lives within us. The moment we trusted the Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And therefore, we also need to understand exactly what this means. And what, what is its significance? Well, in verse 8, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him this, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. He doesn't say in me, as some translations would have it. He doesn't say that. That That's totally wrong. It's with me we really want to have part with the Lord of glory? Of course we do. When we think of all that he's done for us, to be associated with him is the most wonderful thing that we could have. And and if we are to have the true happiness and blessing of sharing with him in our Christian lives, he must render to us the same service that Peter was so reticent to allow him to render him Peter." You see, by our feet, we come into contact with this world. By our feet, we walk a dusty and a dirty and an evil-ridden path. By our feet, we come into contact with the very place that rejected my Saviour and put him on a cross. By our feet, we betray all that this world is, and if there's one thing that God hates, It's this sin in this world. Let me read to you, and in fact, perhaps if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 29. The dust and defilement of this world has to be removed in order to have good fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in order to have good communion with him day by day. The filth of this world which so taints us, and we can do nothing about that of ourselves, but the filth of this world needs to be washed. And in chapter 29, and remember this just before I read this, that that, um, Peter in his epistle was very specific about the place we have as believers. And the priesthood, we have this phrase that you may or may not understand or get a grip of, the priesthood of all believers. You see, Peter stressed this, that every one of us is a priest. We're part of a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood, he says. And if you want to read this in 1 Peter chapter 2, please do, because it'll be good to good bedtime reading. A holy priesthood, he said, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And a royal priesthood shall show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. A holy priesthood, then, to offer up sacrifices. And in the Old Testament, the priesthood had to go through a specific ritual, if you like. Now, you and I are priests. Don't think you have to go to Bible college to be a priest. Don't think you have to stand up in front of a a platform and speak to be a priest. We're all priests, every one of us. Peter is absolutely specific. We're part of a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, and we're part of a royal priesthood to preach the word. Not preach it like standing here, but to show forth the wonder of this word, of the person who's called us out of darkness into his light. And this is what you'll do to them, that ha- to hallow them, to make them holy, to make them fit to minister to me as priests, God said to Moses. And he talks about a few things. And in verse 4 it says, Aaron, because the priesthood came from the Aaronic line, Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. Then you'll take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. you put a turban on his head, a crown on his turban, and you'll take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. And then in verse 9, it said, The priesthood will be theirs for a perpetual statute. In other words, it goes on. But to be a priest, they had to be washed all over. That was a statute from God. Turn over the page into chapter 30 and in verse 17 it says this, the Lord further spoke to Moses, now remember the instruction had already been given to wash them all over once for a perpetual statute, once in a lifetime to be a priest, but In verse 17 of chapter 30, it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses again, you'll make a laver, a basin of bronze, with its base of bronze for washing. And you'll put it in the tabernacle of meeting in the altar, and you'll put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. Whenever they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash their feet is a bit dismissed out with water, lest they die. And it will be a statue forever. So you see, there's two types of washing. And this is what the Lord meant when He said, He who is bathed all over, because when we're bathed, most of us wash all over. We might not, the water might be cold, we want to get out quickly. Um, I was at school where I had to have a cold bath every morning. And and, uh, it was only in the cold winter of 1963 when the medical officer decided it was too cold. And so we stopped having cold baths. But we wash all over, once. But every time you go into the tabernacle of meeting, the Lord said to Moses or the priests go, they have to wash their feet. Why? Because in the meantime, they had been defiled by the world. They'd been out on the dusty desert. They'd walked here and there, and and they'd got dirty and scruffy. And so they had to wash their feet. Now, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus was saying in verse 10. He who is bathed, Peter, needs only to wash his feet. He's already completely clean inside, but his outside needs decontaminating. And he needs to have his feet washed. Peter, you need to have your feet washed. Andrew, you need your feet washing. All of us here, he says, you need your feet washing, just as the priest did. If we know and love the Lord Jesus, we've been washed clean. We've been washed, as the old hymn says, in the blood of the Lamb. And we're clean forever. And the Bible here is saying, you'll not lose that. We don't believe. I don't believe. I'm going to say, I don't believe. Some don't. Uh, 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 They say they can lose your salvation. I don't believe that for one moment. No man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand, said the Lord Jesus. They've been washed. You've been washed completely and utterly inside. You're bathed. You're clean, Peter. You're saved. But my word, your feet get dirty in the world. And didn't he show it when he denied his Saviour? Just a few hours later. And our settled relationship, you can't have part with me. You see, he had part in him already because he was in Christ. He was a believer, he loved his Lord. But you can't have part with me in communion day by day unless I wash your feet. So important. That we have that situation in our lives. Our union with him is permanent, but our communion with him is spoilt so often by contact with the world. What does that mean in your life and my life, quite simply? Well, I'm going to suggest the commonest thing in my life. My own personal experience is unconfessed sin. When I do something that's wrong and I don't get before the Lord, and allow him to wash my feet, spiritually. When I know there's something that's affecting my communion with him, something I've said, something I've done, something I shouldn't have done, Peter, uh, Paul said it, didn't he, the things that I want to do I don't do, and the things I don't want to do I do do, wretched man that I am. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Oh, I thank God, he said, I thank God I have a saviour who's done it all. I thank God I've got one who washes my feet every day before the day's even begun. He's washed them while I'm fast asleep still. I thank God, says Paul, that I know one who's, who's, who's done everything for me. I don't have to do anything. I just have to say, I'm sorry, Lord. If we confess our sin, in 1 John 1, 9, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James, in his epistle, talks time and time again about this, keeping unspotted from the world, untainted by the world, unmarred by the world. This is what it is to have part with me, said the Lord Jesus. It's really important, isn't it? Humbleness, holiness, and finally, very briefly, happiness. Happy these, happy and blessed. Do you do, if you do these things? He said in verse seventeen. If you know these things, you'll have joy in your life. If you understand these things, you'll be blessed in your life. If you really follow these things, what a difference it'll make! What a wonderful change in my life it was wrought when Jesus came into my heart. But what a wonderful change is every day as He washes my feet along the way. He knew that, sadly, they lacked the things that were necessary. But, you know, the apostles, they all said exactly the same thing that we have to go through in the same way what the Lord Jesus did for those disciples. Peter said this Christ also suffered. We need to follow his steps. John said the believer should walk even as he walked. Paul said, be followers of me even as I also I'm of Christ, and Christ gave us, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a great lesson to serve here. It's not just enough to know it. He said so. Blessed are you if you do them. Yes, do as I've done. We need to wash uh, each other's feet. Now this is symbolic. Don't let's get me wrong, please. Uh, I'm sorry, but I cannot wash feet. But, you know, how wonderful that we can wash each other's feet spiritually. How wonderful that we can learn this lesson, not only to know it, but to do it. And this, this wonderful, gracious service is done by my Saviour every day for me. Surely, can't I do it, one with another? Should we not pray for one another? Should we not bring one another The fellowship of God's Word, the the Scripture talks about the washing of water by the Word of God, and it's the application of the Word of God by His Spirit into each one of our lives as we encourage one another in these things. And as we pray together about these things, the washing of water by the Word is not my Word, it's the Word of God. The Word of God, which is infinitely wonderful. And, and, and so he said, you call me teacher and Lord. I love to call him Lord, he's my Lord. You say, well, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, Peter, John, the rest of you, the gang, you need to be doing it to each other, day by day by day, by day. Just as the Lord Himself did on that day, just as the Lord Himself does as our great High Priest and Advocate. The Epistle of the Hebrews and John's Epistle, uh, Peter's Epistle, are, are full of this absolutely wonderful thing. You know, our great High Priest, a man in heaven. I love to think of a man in heaven washing my feet. He was a man in Jerusalem, washing their feet. And our great example, as he says, he is still our Lord and example, and he is our example to follow his footsteps and to do the same for one another. Paul wrote at the end of his Galatian epistle, was chapter 6, verse 1, if, if a brother or a sister is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual among you, Go to him and pray with him, and, 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 and seek to bring him back, and restore him, and encourage him. Don't excommunicate him. Don't put him out and never speak to him again. You who are spiritual, it's your responsibility, and he's saying this to everybody, get round God's Word. Get on your knees together with the Lord. But he did say one thing after that, he said, just be careful lest you also fall into the same thing. Very easily to be super-spiritual, isn't it? It doesn't say you were super-spiritual, it says you were spiritual. And James said exactly the same at the end of his epistle. I can't remember the exact wording. Um, Wait a minute, and we'll finish with this. James, um, the very last little bit of his epistle, it says, says this, Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Washing one another's feet, being a blessing to one another, being an encouragement to one another, spiritually being a, 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 um, doing what the Lord Jesus did and bringing blessing and honour to the one who did it, first of all, for us. We sometimes sing, my Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you, and there isn't, is there? None like him, none who would have taken that position, when the Father had given to the Son everything, put everything in his hand that he could possibly have, and yet he took a towel, he took a basin. He took water, and He washed their feet. Is it too hard for us to do the same? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us what it means to be humble. Teach us what it means to take the lowest place. Teach us what it means to be like you, as you were, so may it be so in our lives, because we ask it in your holy, precious, and worthy name. Amen.